This is the Views from the Booth podcast, your reference guide into the world of sports broadcasting. Here's your hosts, J.J. Duke and Joe Vasile. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Views from the Booth. Hope everyone's enjoying their day thus far. J.J. and Joe here with you. Uh, If you missed last week's episode, it was one that I was looking forward to doing for a while and as you've kind of figured out on this show, we do talk a lot about a, a lot of nuts and bolts in broadcasting, but we do talk about a lot of things that maybe those that don't fully think about often. And one of those being the relationships that you build, whether you're in the business or just kind of on your own time. And one of the ones I felt was very good to talk about was uh, building the relationships and establishing those relationships with media relations personnel. And those people first off are really the key that runs the machine of sports they do so many things whether it's behind the scenes stuff whether it's stuff that you see on social writing game recaps so many things mm-hmm. um and it these are the people that kind of really help you as well in your careers uh, and we chatted with one of them um we brought on a sports information director from fairfield university that being drew kingsley talk more about those types of relationships so if you missed that show um, make sure to go check out that one as well as any of our previous episodes um, as we're up on a variety of different podcasting platforms. And I should throw this one in as a little bit of a verbal, uh, well, appreciate you, Drew, because he texted me a few hours later after the episode went up saying Kingsley equals ratings. And I'm like, well, you know, you're a good kid. Don't get cocky. Then the next morning I checked to see how we're doing. And it was the most downloaded show that we had in the the latter part of two months in the first 24 hours after release. I'm like, well, this is great. Like, you know, maybe we should just bring on the beard more often because Drew Kingsley rocks a very strong facial hair game. And I guess that's what Joe, the, the people gravitate towards. That's what I think. I, I, I guess I have to stop shaving. Although I feel like it's funny in the videos we put up on social media. I think it's, it's a good timeline of how lazy or not I've been with shaving throughout the entire, uh, COVID period of growing a beard, shaving it off, growing it back. Um, but no, I, I think Drew was, was great. Clearly, there's a, there's a Drew Kingsley effect that we experienced last week. Um, and I think that it was also just kind of perfect timing that there was a, a viral thread on Twitter uh, put up by, I forget his name, but uh, an SID at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, that listed all of the stuff that he does as an SID when people ask him and going through all these things. It's like, oh, this was a very similar conversation to what we were just having with Drew. And I think that went viral maybe the day of or the day before the episode dropped and saw that everywhere. And then, uh, uh, you know, we kind of put our spin on that relationship and, and just our appreciation for that job and um, just how important um, I don't want to say those people because it sounds it sounds pejorative, uh, but uh, but just how important SIDs are to our jobs and um, again something you might not always necessarily think about early on uh, starting off you know um, but really you learn quick that um, just indispensable hardworking uh, individuals all around the country really make what we do as broadcasters go. Yeah, and if you want to hear more about Drew's journey or why it is important to have that really strong and healthy working relationship between a broadcaster and a media relations person. Again, go check us out everywhere where you get your podcasts. Um, So for this week's show, 
getting back into kind of the, the more nuts and bolts side of thing, but this is something that Joe brought up when we were discussing a few weeks back kind of topics that we can go on about. And this is one that we've referenced slightly in a couple of different episodes, but we're now just going to hammer it out right now. And that is talking about habits that you have in broadcasting, the good, the bad, and the not so great, but also finding ways that you can fix some of those things. Uh, also, pet peeves are going to be in there as well. And really, those just kind of two tie in hand in hand. At the end of the day, Joe and I, and we've said this before, we're not perfect. We've had habits, bad habits as well, that either are some that just kind of stick with us and we work really hard to do the best that we can to make it work and some that we've overcome during time. So, um, you know, a lot of this is easier said than done. And I feel like that's a real cliche way to start, Joe. But what we're kind of getting at here is when you're at home and you talked about that, a broadcaster having a three-way conversation between the broadcaster, the analyst, and the viewers listening at home. Viewers that are listening at home can pick up so many things very quickly, especially the bad habits. And it's something that, you know, not to say makes or breaks, but it may become a crutch that all of a sudden, 10 years down the line, you can't shake. And that might be something that prevents you from making that next step forward in your career. Yeah, and a lot of things are just things that people listening, the, the average listener, the average viewer, they pick up on, but maybe they can't quite pinpoint exactly what it is. Um, whereas, you know, those in the industry would maybe have an easy time of doing it. Uh, but I think the biggest thing uh, that really hurts a lot of people early on is just a simple lack of authenticity. Um, in being who you are. Um, a lot of young broadcasters, I was in this group for sure and still am to a certain extent. Um, but a lot of young broadcasters, when they first start out, you feel like you have to sound like so-and-so. You know, I feel like I have to sound like Doc Emmerich. I have to sound like Gus Johnson. I have to sound like Al Michaels. I have to sound like Ian Eagle or, or any of these other guys, Jim Nance. Um, and that just doesn't work. It works for Gus Johnson because that's who Gus Johnson is. It works for Doc Emmerich because that's who he is. They're two very different styles. They're both very good. Um, but if you try to do an impression of one or the other, it's probably going to fall flat on its face. Like JJ needs to be JJ. I need to be Joe. You need to be whoever you are on the air. Uh, and just let that shine through. And, and I think that's the biggest bad habit that you hear time and time again is people trying to sound too broadcastery. Um, you know, maybe if this was the 50s and 60s and every broadcaster talked like this or just a little bit with an old fashioned accent, then sure, go ahead and try to sound broadcastery. But this is 2020. I mean, you have a lot of broadcasters out there who are at a very high level, who don't have what you think of as a broadcaster voice. Um, and I think that's because people are realizing that that's one of the least important things to doing this job. I mean, obviously, if your voice is nails on a chalkboard, you, there are things you can do to develop a smoother sound. Um, you know, that's still not 
going to necessarily prevent you from making a go at it in this career. Um, but it is something that you want to try and um, work on smoothing out. Um, but for the most part, don't feel like you have to try to sound a certain way. Um, and once you're able to kind of let go of that habit of saying, well, I grew up listening to people who sounded like this, so I have to sound like this. Um, that can really just unleash um, your potential as a broadcaster because now you're being you uh, and you've, you've shed that bad habit of trying to be somebody else when you're on the air, either by reading the th thesaurus to come up with a bunch of words that nobody knows because Doc Emmerich uses a bunch of words. I mean, Doc Emmerich uses everyday words though. Like he doesn't, I don't think Doc Emmerich is thumbing through a thesaurus to come up with different ways of saying pass. Um, you know, you don't have to do that. You can just, you can just be you and, and you'll be fine. Well, when you talk about emulating people and how you go up, grow up listening to people, I think you hit it perfectly in the sense that these are always the ones that you see on the air, the big games. I mean, if you're, we're in the fall right now. So if you're throwing Fox on at four o'clock or four 30 on a Sunday, you're very likely going to be hearing Joe Buck every week for 17 weeks of the year, plus playoffs baseball, you know, Matt Vaskersian, obviously on Sunday nights, you're going to get Brian Anderson on TBS. So many names on that front, but so many known names, basketball, you know, Mike Breen, Harv Albert, guys that you know. But when you try and do what they do, something that they've polished for 30, 40 some odd years, you're trying to do it in a less polished sense. And that's where people can pick that up very easily. So if I'm, you know, calling a basketball game and I try to do the Mike Breen bang, like, okay, it might sound a little better coming from me because I've called over a thousand games. Joe, you'd probably do the same if you, we want to just have some fun and keyword there, have a little fun because we wouldn't really try that so much on air. But hey, if you want to have a moment, go have a moment, pop off a, a funny, you know, an ode to, if you will. But if you're calling your 10th game and you try to, you know, bring in the Mike Emmerich waffle boarding one into the corner, it's going to sound choppy for you because you're thinking, oh, that's what they say. This is how I should say. So it's the less polished act that mm -hmm. I think it hurts people that are just getting into it or those that are really trying to find their way into their own unique sound. And this is something that we're going to be doing <clears throat> in a couple of weeks time is talking about how do you develop your own unique sound and what makes JJ Duke and Joe Vasile separate themselves from the rest of the pack. We'll get to that, but just by hearing what someone does on TV week in and week out, they do it because they work hard and I don't want to say like they've earned the right to do it, but they really have earned the right to speak their own way because that's how they got there. And they're the ones that are at the top of the game. So those are, you know, that's kind of the main start and how you develop those bad habits is doing something that's completely out of your own comfort zone. Yeah. And, and you, you give the example of saying bang on a made on a big made basket or, you know, Marv Albert. Yes. On a big made basket. If you do that, where my mind goes as someone at home is, who does this guy think he is? Mike Breen? You know, what is he, Marv Albert over here? Like, it, it, my mind immediately goes to, oh, you're, you're copying Marv Albert. You're copying Mike Breen. You know, if, 
if you're doing play-by-play of a basketball game and you say the phrase swishing and dishing, I'm going to go, wow, you're trying to be Clyde Frazier. Like that's, that's where my mind goes. So you have to, you have to just be you. You can't, like I said, maybe take a turn of a phrase and borrow it and make it your own or, or do something every once in a while as, as an homage or a tip of the cap to someone who particularly inspired you. Uh, I think a, a good example of that is Joe Buck in the 2011 World Series on David Freeze's home run in game six. You know, we'll see you tomorrow night, kind of that tip of the cap to, to his dad's call in the 91 World Series. Something like that can work and you can pull it off. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, if it's something that for you, you feel like you're forcing in or you're not totally comfortable in doing, if it's not something that naturally comes to you, then just don't do it. Um, don't feel like you, you need to have those little winks or, or nods or, or tips of the hat toward anyone else in the industry, uh, whether they inspired you or not. You can just go ahead and call the game the way you're going to call it and your own catchphrases will organically develop uh, that way. And maybe if it happens to overlap with Mike Breen, then it overlaps with Mike Breen, all the better. Um, but uh, but as the most important thing is that it is um, unique and genuine to you and who you are. And I think we should also just mention too that just because we're talking about some of the main catchphrases that uh, the top of the line broadcasters do, that doesn't mean that they've patented the word. Like if someone says, you know, mm -hmm. good, you know, in terms of like a shot is, you can go ahead and say that. So we're not like just <laughs> limiting yeah. people at home to like figure out new ways to like say that someone scored a goal. No, you can go, go ahead and say goal or something along those lines. Believe me, because if, if someone patented that, we would be in trouble right from the <laughs> onset. Um, and also, I, I think, too, at the same time, and Joe mentioned earlier, if you want to go ahead and, you know, have a throwback, like if I was doing analysis of, you know, a nice three-on-two fast break in basketball and you'd have someone drop in a sweet pass in there, you can go – or the analyst could be like – and as, you know, Walt Clyde Frazier would say, a little swish and addition on the way to the hoop for a two – you could say it like that and it's perfectly fine. And everyone at home would be like, Oh my God, not only is this kid amazing, but like they know kind of the backstories of a lot of things. And that actually probably get you a little bit of street cred down the road. Um, so yeah, so those are, it's, it's a nice backstory into kind of how we're going about this because as I said, Joe and I are not exempt to having bad habits or emulating from the start because again, we've all kind of been there. Um, in the sense that we had to find our own way to get our own groove going. So yeah, let's dive into some of these things that, you know, first, I guess on a personal levels that we've had mm -hmm. bad habits with. And then also one that I wanted to discuss is things that we've noticed as well, whether it's something that we've done or something that we've seen from others. And as we go throughout, maybe we can, you know, play a little bit of doctor here and diagnose some of these things. So for those listening at home, it's like, okay, so how do I avoid that? Here's some of those steps. And I, I've always sent it to you first. I'll take the first hit and send myself as kind of the yep. guinea pig. So uh, the personal habits, and I spent a good portion of the day trying to figure out like, okay, what were some things that I have really struggled with, either overcome or still going over and, you know, averting it as much as possible. You talked about 
kind of go thumbing through the sources or ways to drop in adjectives. Now I should say this much. If you have different ways of saying like, you know, that was a nice pass. Like if you can come up with a little bit more colorful words, that's mm-hmm. what you should be doing. Now, if you get into the words that you just like, Oh, I heard that one on TV. Let me figure it out because it's really out there. SAT words are good at times, but not always. So for me in soccer, um, Here's, you know, we've already talked about this a few times. I listen to Arlo White Mm -hmm. on the weekends in, you know, the English Premier League. So I love how he incorporates, like, if someone making a rampaging run down the flank, it's a good word. But I've had, like, in the early stages, I was dropping that every time someone made a powerful run on the outside. That's something that you should not do. If you want to use it once or twice in a game, great. You know, again, it changes – things like that but dropping those colorful words every time the people at home will think oh, this guy is just really reaching it's simple just keep the game simple and we've said it before simple is always better so you don't think about it because then when you start fishing for words in your head like "Ooh, I should do one better the next time you'll stumble on something where it's player gets out wide whips the ball into the box a header goal very simple right but you know, if I was start to stumble, it's like a, it's a lambasting run down the right side. And it's, it, it's happened before, the hesitation. So that was one thing that I needed to, you know, I've still kind of struggled with at times because I like to have a, a little fun with it and mm-hmm. add a few things. But one that I definitely, I guess I'm proud that I've gone away from is leaning on crutch words, interviews, or transitioning phases where and you'll still hear it absolutely definitely on occasion as opposed to getting on with the next one I think that's one of the things I'm personally proud of that I've worked on over the past to really limit um, going forward in those sorts of things so those are like two personals for me and now Joe uh, any's that you've kind of had to overcome in the past I think one of my biggest ones especially early on and even to an extent now, um, maintaining the same amount of energy throughout a broadcast, um, especially my first couple of years doing basketball on the radio, uh, I would come out of the gate just swinging and firing on all cylinders. And the same thing in football, being great with the descriptions, on point with the left and right, identifying who's got the ball, where they've got it catch outside the numbers at the 35 yard line turns to the right heads down the field scoots out of bounds at the 41 right on point in the first half and then the second half of the game would come around and I would lose all of that energy and I wouldn't be able to sustain it at a consistent level throughout a broadcast to the point where in the last few minutes that same catch outside the numbers at the 35 turns to the right heads down the field scoots out at the 41 turns into caught at the 35 and runs out of bounds at the 41. Maybe not that much of a difference, but that's essentially the level of drop-off in in terms of uh, detail um, from the beginning to the end. Uh, And so that was a really bad habit I had and fixed that in various ways. Uh, One was taking the beginning and, and bringing it down a little bit and doing a little less description early on. And then that helped the stamina later in the game. 
but also just being aware of it. Uh, and I feel like that's, that's the key for getting rid of any bad habit, is just to be aware that you have it as a bad habit and then catch yourself when you're doing it and fix it. Now, even now, where I still occasionally will, will drop off a little bit in the third and fourth quarter of a game, I'll catch myself and I'll go, you're, you're not being very good about this. And then I'll, I'll get right back into it. Um, and so it's one of those things that becomes second nature to have that sustained level of being here. And then you can raise the whole thing at once as opposed to being here and here. Um, this is a podcast. You can't see me moving my hands, but uh, high and low in terms of energy uh, at the beginning and end of the game. If anything, you want to be the other way around where you have more energy at the end of the game because generally that's going to be more important. Uh, so that, that for me was a big um, bad habit. And another one that I still have um, is the active versus passive voice. Um, and this is something that, oh gosh, people have been telling me for years in critiques. Uh, literally, I've heard it a thousand times I consciously try to work on it and I still slip up on it. Um, a lot less than I used to, but I'm much better at it now. Um, you know, the runner is, you know, to use a, a baseball example, Clint Frazier rounds third and heads home. Not rounding third is Frazier and head home. It's a very subtle difference, but it's one that shows up on tape. It sounds a lot different to the ear um, and is obviously preferable to be in the active voice um, rather than the passive voice of the verb happening to the actor. No, the actor is doing it. Um, and so describing it that way helps with your economy of words um, and it just helps you sound a lot better. Uh, and it's something that, again, when you notice it and when you become aware of it, it becomes a lot easier to correct that bad habit. Um, and it's also something you'll hear when listening to other broadcasters when they do it. And you'll notice high-level broadcasters will still do it. Like, it's not, it's not anything to beat yourself up over. You don't have to be perfect with it. But just be aware and try your best to stay in the active voice and... Um, and so for me, the, those two bad habits um, are kind of ones that I've had to overcome and am still in the process of fully um, working on and overcoming. And uh, I feel like those are, those are also areas and listening to tapes and, and providing feedback that happen to jump out at me um, from a lot of younger broadcasters. One, because they're things I'm working on, so my ears are more trained to pick up on it because I'm listening for that when I critique my own work. Um, but also I suspect it's because it's a, it's a common bad habit uh, with, with a lot of young broadcasters. You're already hearing a lot of this in terms of reassessing your own work. This should come as no surprise to any broadcaster. If you went back and listened to our demo show, we talked a lot about how much time you need to take in reassessing yourself. And if you don't like the way that you already sound, well, you're going to have to get over it at some point in terms of your own, like, um, yeah, just your sound. Uh, because guess what? You're already talking in it of itself and people are listening at home. But spending those hours, and I did look up, like, 
in the sense of how do you break a bad habit on Google? Not anything specific, just general ways of breaking habits. We've already discussed a few of them already in terms of acknowledging that these things are real, accepting, I feel like I'm going through the 12 steps, but then it's <laughs> like to reassess and how to kind of start to work your brain to figure it out and get it out of your head. And you do it in small doses. So if you're taking the sense about starting hot at a game and finishing with very little juice, I also had those issues as well starting out. And I think a lot of it I attributed to not having a co-commentator to work with. Um, and the reason why I say that is you're coming out firing at the beginning. You're ready to go, ready to go. And then you think about it and you listen to yourself. Okay, how many spots of a time that you'd give it off to the analyst to work for? That saves energy. And even though it's crazy to say, you're doing the work of two people for one if you're working a game solo, as opposed to working with someone or working in a three or four person setup, however it may be, that saves your gas for later in the game when it may just be you that's handling the last couple of minutes with just occasional drops from your analyst. So you don't have to hurt yourself so much in saying, well, okay, there's a reason why. But as Joe was saying, he's figured out ways to kind of work around that, save some energy at the beginning. Personally, when I started, you know, calling games, you get the first point out of the way, you bring in, this is after you do the open, um, so into live action, do the first point, first sequence, first 20, 30 seconds, then bring the analysts in and let them start going to work, let them feel their way into the game. And I love how they do it. Again, here we go in soccer, but you have your scene set first 30, 40 seconds, analyst, your thoughts on the match. Usually by then, they would have already assessed a formation. They would have sensed the tone for the game. They can go to work for a minute. Then you build your way into it. And you can, you can do that for a number of different things. Football, um, you've already called one or two plays by that point. Your, your cohort can already figure out the types of defenses that the opposition is going to be thrown at you. How, do the, how does the offense break it down from there? It's just those little things in terms of saving your gas because you can then bounce back and forth between each other as opposed to you're calling the game and then you're breaking down what you saw and then you go again. Yeah, and that's, that's an excellent point about how the analysts can, can kind of help you with that. And that was actually one of the techniques that I, I started working in, especially basketball when working solo, is to almost give those pauses three seconds, four seconds long after a made basket. Um, almost that time that you would be giving to your analyst. And just let it breathe. Let the crowd noise carry it for a couple seconds. And then when the ball crosses over midcourt, pick it up again there. So made basket, 2 nothing Army. Into the front court on their first possession of the game, Bucknell and point guard Marley Walls dribble to it. Like, you just let it breathe for a little bit, and that will help you pace yourself in the early going, but it'll also help you keep some of that energy in the tank for later in the game when you don't want to be giving those pauses if you're working solo, you want to just be continuing to go on, maybe drop in some commentary or uh, you know, a note or a nugget about whatever run 
the team is on or, or, or something of that nature. Um, and you'll be able to do that and seamlessly work it in with the play-by-play -play because you're used to having that three seconds that you're going to drop this nugget in. You're used to not having anything to fill that and then being able to pick the play-by-play -play up. So you know the timing, you know the beats and the rhythm, and you'll have enough energy kind of left in the tank uh, to carry that out late in the game. Um, and, and that was that's actually a, a point you brought up, but one of the ways that I've uh, tried to overcome uh, my own bad habit. And going some of the other ones and get a little more general in terms of observations, mm -hmm. you hit one perfectly in letting a game breathe. I think for a lot of people, and I see this actually for seasoned people for that matter, is the need to talk the entire time. Letting a game breathe is so important because not only does it give yourself a break, it gives the viewers a break as well because they're processing all this information. It's always kind of comical when I go on Twitter, say for example, and you have the same group of people that are watching the same game. And when you start to see the train of thoughts from three, four, five, six different people saying, man, this person needs to shut up for a few minutes. But you get the point. It's a sense that like, okay, so, and this is, again, it, it's one that almost seems silly to talk about, but it does happen where you just have someone jammering on and on and on and on. And even then you talk about the stories that you want to drop in there. The stories may be jammering on and on and on. By the way, the balls went back up and down the court three times. You've already had a, a made three, a block, and then, you know, some chaos at midcourt because the team that was blocked was trying to throw a trap on, but you have the person still talking about a story. I think that that's one gets to be a very easy fix, but it's one that's very noticeable often. Yeah, and here's where, I mean, you hear a lot of people say, that doing minor league baseball or, or even, you know, a summer college league baseball or independent league baseball, I guess now you call it MLB partner league baseball. Um, but that's where that really can help you develop as a broadcaster, even if your future is not in baseball, even if you have no interest in broadcasting baseball, being able to skillfully broadcast a baseball game means you know how to let a game breathe um, because that's how you do that sport well. You cannot constantly talk for three hours a night. Um, and believe me, I, Vin Scully, who would tell stories and weave him in and out, he still knew when to be quiet and when to just let the game breathe and when to go on those fun side stories. Um, and that's part of mastering the craft of this whole thing is knowing when it is to talk and when it is not to talk um, and letting the game breathe, giving your listeners ears, just a break um, and letting it feel like they're there. Let the crowd noise carry it. Even if you're on radio and there's no pictures, um, part of the appeal of having a crowd mic is it brings the listener into the stadium with you because they can hear what's going on at the stadium. You get that crowd noise. Maybe it's not as intense as when you're in a crowd, but it gives you that feeling of being in a crowd. And when you're at the game, 
very few people have an earplug in and are listening to the radio broadcast. You're just there, you're listening to the ambient noise, you're hearing the crack of the bat, you're, you're hearing the fans cheering and chanting and whatever music the organist or, or music uh, person happens to be playing. Like, so including a lot of that is, um, is great in any sport. Basketball, football, soccer, lacrosse, volleyball. It's so great to all have that and to let that tell the story and to let things breathe. And when you need to come in and talk and describe what's going on, go and do it. But for the most part, stay out of the way of the game. Um, that's much easier said than done. Um, and that's why the people who are really good at it um, are at the top of this industry for decades. And another one in terms of, you know, kind of mastering the moment, letting the crowd take over is the big shot or the last second goal or the walk-off homer at the end of the game. And why I say this is it's another thing I've noticed a lot. And these are what people usually have in their demo reels, or if they just put out highlights um, at some point is walking over what's happening on the court or field of play in the biggest climax moment. And I know this is one that, and I'll, I want to hear your take on this in a second, but this is one that I know that so many broadcasters want to have that perfect finish. Like you call the, call the entire game. You know that the climax is coming, say it's for a championship and you want to utter out like, you know, Bucknell basketball back on the top in the Patriot league desperately want to say that i know for you you'd kill for a chance at an ncaa tournament bit as well just for the experience but the one that i enjoyed so much and you got to see this because it was posted on social they had the camera this was the run that oh goodness what was it uh notre dame beating uconn women's basketball mm -hmm. and it was what arike agumba wale yep then doing it again a couple days later uh, mm -hmm. to win the national championship. But you have the shot where you'd have Adam Amin in the middle, Carol Lawson, Rebecca Lobo. You have Adam calling the game, fidgeting around, and then Agumboale for the win. Good! Silence for probably 40 seconds or so. You didn't need him talking because the crowd, and it was obviously on TV, but the crowd – the scenes, the pictures, it told the story. And sometimes that's all you need. Just let what's in front of you tell the story. Yeah, I think Adam Amin is really terrific at nailing those big moments. Um, Joe Davis also is just so good in big moments. And what I think separates those two, um, at least among the under 45 broadcasters out there um you know the, the guys who aren't the nances the eagles the, the those guys of the industry um they have this tremendous voice control um which is another big part of nailing a big moment um i do not possess the voice control of a joe davis or an adam amin um my voice will crack um not as much as it used to but it, it will from time to time uh if i get too excited so I, I know I need to start it low. Um, when, there's, when I'm sensing a big moment, 
it's I try to push my voice down as far low into my stomach as I possibly can until I'm basically talking out of my bladder. Uh, forget my diaphragm. So that way, when the moment hits and it goes up, I go up to my chest voice and I don't go up to my temples and start, you know, getting super high pitched and losing control of my voice. Um, you know, there was a thousand examples of me doing that anyway. But um, I think those are the two elements though, voice control and knowing when to just lay out and not talk for 30, 40 seconds. If it's in NCAA final four um, or if it's, you know, the world series or something like that. I mean, when Mookie Wilson hit the ball that goes through Bill Buckner's legs, game six of the 86 world series at Shea stadium, Vin Scully calling the game for NBC behind the bag gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. And then he doesn't talk for two and a half minutes. Um, you know, and there's other examples of, um, Gosh, I forget who it is uh, calling Hank Aaron's 715th home run to pass Babe Ruth. And you can actually hear on the call the broadcaster taking a headset off and setting it on the table so that they couldn't say anything if they wanted to um, over this moment. So it's, it's kind of that two-pronged thing. Having the control in the moment, knowing when to lay out, and let the moment speak for itself. And those are two things that come with experience and a lot of trial and error. Like you're going to mess up some big calls. You will. I have, I'm sure you have JJ. Um, everyone out there listening, if you don't think you've messed up a big call, you either are going too soon or you're in or denial. Have, and you just don't realize it um, quite yet. You know, maybe two years from now, you go back and you listen, you go, oh, yeah, that, I, I could have done a lot better on that call. Um, but, you know, it, it's something that's bound to happen. So you just, you learn from that and you figure out what you need to do better for the next time. And if that means starting your voice more down before the call happens, if you're sensing potentially a big moment um, and just being clear-headed and having the self-control to cut yourself off after you've said what you need to say. You know, you can let it breathe and then come in and add in whatever you want to add 30 seconds down the road. Um, and that's hard to do because we're just trained to talk, 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 talk. And it's also difficult as well because you're excited. You want to be part of the moment because – you said it before, we are fans of the game as well. We want to see success. We want to see players relish in the moment and do the best to tell a story. But sometimes the story is not to say anything at all and let the story tell itself. Um, yeah, so those are some of the general ones from me. I know, or do you have any others that you kind of want to add to in terms of the, the pet peeves or the things that you've seen generally that maybe or maybe can be you know figured out sorted out for other broadcasters um you know it's it's kind of funny you ask that because just a couple days ago 
I was going back through some old broadcasting files of mine, cleaning some things out for my computer and came across a few games that I did when I was in college. And I listened for about 10 seconds before I'd heard enough. Um, and it was because two things really stuck out to, stu stuck? Stuck out to me. Um, one, I was making up words. No. Uh, one was I had a very heavy New Jersey accent, <laughs> which has, has thankfully uh, been beaten out of me. Um, but uh, the second was that the actual pet peeve and the bad habit in here was I was talking so fast. Oh my God, I was the energizer bunny. It was just like, <laughs> words just all melting together, creating a bunch of mush. And it just didn't sound great. And then that took a while to really work towards and to be more relaxed and to be more conversational, even in a sport like football and basketball that are uh, faster paced than say a soccer or a baseball where it's a much more leisurely style of broadcasting uh, almost. But um, the way that I did that, and, and I was actually talking to someone and, and gave them this specific piece of advice to help them get over a similar issue, was I would take a sentence or a paragraph of text, um, and I would record myself saying it as I would say it on a broadcast. So I'm just saying something super fast, you know, I don't even know what. Talking about the bad habits in broadcasting and how people talk way too fast. And then I would record myself saying it at a pace that felt really slow. We are sitting here talking about bad habits in broadcasting and how to overcome them. And then you listen to those back to back and you hear just how much better that second one sounds. And you realize that while that felt unnaturally slow, it's actually doesn't sound that bad. And maybe you go exaggeratingly slow and you can pick it up a little bit, but it doesn't sound that bad. And you need to find something closer to that as your average tempo of talking. Um, and I think part of that's just nerves. Um, and maybe part of that is just, again, me growing up in Northern New Jersey and talking with a fast, you know, North Jersey Italian accent. You know, what do you, what do you want from me? I got a cup of coffee over here. I got a water. Let's get some pizza. I, you know, so, you know, just learning to get rid of those things. Um, not necessarily saying you have to lose your character if you have an accent or um, almost a stylized voice. You can be very successful with that. Um, but knowing just to, to slow things down and make it more relaxed and conversational. Um, I don't know if that's a habit per se, um, but it is something that you can get trapped into if that is kind of your normal pace um, of conversation in everyday life. Uh, you, you can kind of get trapped into broadcasting that way. And um, it's just not as pleasant to listen to. No, I think um, that actually does happen more often than you think. I think it was a bit similar for me as well, just because. Yeah, nerves are one thing. I think the general excitement, because similar to athletes, you want to be there. You're not like 
being forced to call a game. You genuinely want to be calling a game. I think breathing is also one of them as well. For whatever Mm -hmm. reason, I'm not a scientist or a doctor. Couldn't tell you why it happens. I have seen people just all of a sudden think that a microphone is in front, headset on, mic's right in front of you. You need to start talking faster. Don't know why, but it does happen. Oddly enough, breathing for me, I think, helped. And in the sense of not the, yes, you need to breathe in order so your face doesn't turn purple, but again, it's spacing yourself out, slowing yourself down, breathe. Simple things. I mean, if you even need help with stuff like that, there's million meditation apps that you can go or you can watch a YouTube video of how to, you know, properly slow your breathing down because then you talk a little bit slower. There you go. It's not, it's crazy to think because again, we're making it sound like, oh, this is simple science. Why don't you just do this from the start? Well, again, it's the thrill of being there, the energy that you want to bring, but the same type same time the uptight nervousness that you have because i've seen also at the same time you could probably chime in as well as this people that it's like oh your job is so easy anyone can do this give them a microphone two minutes later frozen absolutely frozen and no idea what to do so i think it's just a mishmash of all that together and people just react differently for one reason or another and there you go though i'm very curious though to hear that new jersey italian style accent from you so i may have to ask for those tapes at some point down the future. <laughs> yeah I'll, uh, I'll i'll play some of that for you here once we're done recording lovely but oh, yeah my goodness but i think that's um i think this is a good conversation to have because again a lot of these things it just sounds simple it sounds ordinary and i'll hold my hand up and say i've made a lot of these mistakes in the past probably still do for some dropping in likes it happens. These are things that takes a lot longer to break the mold, especially for some people that may have talked like that. Like you're talking about a specific accent, they're trying to shake it. Well, for some, you're just not going to, or you're going to have to do really well to limit it to 10% as opposed to up there at the 80, 90% level. So for those out there thinking that we're all perfect and those that are on TV every weekend, they made mistakes. They probably still make mistakes. Unfortunately for them, it gets magnified so much more because there's so many more people watching, but don't freak out in the sense of, I need to be perfect. I need to fix all this stuff, little steps at a time. And if you have any questions, obviously reach out to us, but also Googling how to break bad habits. There are so many different great resources out there that not only just broadcasting, but life in general, they can take from and try to implement into your own and make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a million different resources out there to to help you get through bad habits and set good habits. Um, not just in broadcasting, but in your life. Um, and I think that that's an important thing too, uh, to extend trying to create good habits. Um, you know, outside of just your career and to, to translate that forward into to every aspect of your life. Because one, it's going to make it a lot easier for you, uh, you know, moving forward. And, um, you know, obviously there's 
in any success story, there's a lot of luck involved. Um, but there's also a lot of hard work and good habits. So if you take care of what you can control, maybe you can get the lucky break that, that kind of gets you to the point where, you know, they're then writing books about how you became successful. I mean, that's, that's the hope for, for everyone, uh, I guess, on a certain level, um, is to reach a certain amount of success. And uh, I think a lot of that starts with having good habits, both on the air and off, um, pertaining to broadcasting and not. Well, if you have any questions or you want to get your take or our take on some of your habits that you want to fix, plenty of ways you can do so. You can reach out to us on Twitter at the VFTB underscore pod, Instagram at views from the booth underscore pod, Facebook views from the booth podcast. Joe is on social Twitter, Joe Vasile PBP and Instagram, Joe Vasile. I'm at JJ Duke 21 on Twitter, JJ dot Duke 21 on Instagram. Joe, I, I enjoyed this conversation. Looking forward to the next one. Absolutely. Uh, looking forward as always. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Views from the Booth podcast. If you want to catch up on any of our past episodes, you can find us everywhere where you get your podcasts. See you all next time.